Greetings, all you 99 percenters. This is your host, Dr. Jack Rasmus. This is Alternative Visions. Okay, I want to talk about a topic today that uh, we've been addressing off and on here for several months, but uh, it's um, at the end of the year, this same topic uh, is uh, extremely important because it points to where things are going economically, inflation, jobs, recession, global, um, in 2023. Uh, that topic is the Federal Reserve. And uh, its decision here this past week to increase uh, interest rates once again by what it calls 50 basis points, and that was one half of 1%, uh, which raises the short term, what it calls its policy rate, which is the benchmark, the base that other rates uh, reflect. Uh, federal funds rate, technically, it raises it uh, to the, um, well, four and a quarter, four and a half percent interest rate range. Uh, and uh, the Fed is going to continue raising interest rates. And uh, according to Fed Chair Powell here, Jerome Powell, uh, we can at least expect two more rate hikes, probably 50 basis points again, at least one, the next one coming in January, then probably one more after, whether it be 50 or 25, we don't know. But uh, the target they're talking about is to get the base rate up uh, uh, on an average of 5.1% for the coming year, 2023. Uh, now, it's important that this, this latest uh, hike here by Powell was really aimed at, quote, the markets. You know, I hate that term, the markets. These are professional investors. These are guys from the equity firms, the hedge funds, you know, the banks and so forth. These are the professional investor class here. They call it the markets, as if it wasn't actual capitalists. No. Uh, but that's an aside. Anyway, um, the point is that the Fed really gave a message to these guys and said, uh, stop thinking that we're going to stop raising interest rates. You know, um, these the markets uh, for the last three or four months have been uh, uh, wish, wishing uh, and acting upon that wish that the Fed's going to pause its rate hikes, uh, that, oh, the Fed is through, it's not going to raise rates anymore. Every time that happens, uh, they start plowing money into the stock markets, the financial markets, and they get a big boom. Yeah. Uh, but then the Fed uh, comes in recent months and says, oh, no, no, 75 basis points. And then, oh, they go into a funk and the market contracts, right? And then the, the next Fed meeting, six weeks later, uh, the same thing goes on, and the markets boom, thinking that the Fed's going to stop. And then the Fed says, no, 75 basis points, and uh, then it uh, collapses. You know, this seesaw has been going on with the stock markets and the Federal Reserve, and the stock market's not getting the message that the Federal Reserve is, is on a rip, and the Federal Reserve is doing what it says it's going to do, and that is to keep raising rates until they bring inflation down or start slowing it dramatically. 
Okay, we've looked at inflation, and uh, it's moderating a little bit, but not very much. After four 75 basis point hikes, uh, you know, officially, you know, their CPI was in the 8 to 9% range, which is about 2% actually lower than what it really is, but we won't get into that. Uh, 8%, 8 to 8.5%, and now it's down to 7.1%. So, you know, they took a little bit of, of, uh, uh, wind out of the sails, but not much for raising rates that much. We'll talk about that. Why is that so? But it means the Fed's going to continue to raise rates here. And Powell came out in his press conference after the rate increase last week and in no uncertain terms said to these investors, come on, get the damn message. Uh, the Fed is not pausing. Maybe we're not going to continue raising it as as uh, high as we had, 71 basis points. Okay, 50 basis points, but we're going to continue raising it until we see uh, that inflation uh, approaches or reaches our goal of 2%. Yeah, 2%, not the current 7.1. Well, they got a hell of a long way to go, which means there's going to be a lot more uh, uh, rate hikes here. Right? We'll talk about the press conference here and what it really um, – reflects by the Fed, because in giving this message to the investors, uh, the Fed is also saying, look, we don't care how deep the recession goes. The recession's going to get deeper. Of course, they deny we're in one now, even though the Fed says that GDP, their forecast for 2022, is only one half of 1%. In other words, stagnant which means it's really less than that. Why? Because the Fed can't come out and say, uh, okay, uh, you know, we're forecasting a recession. No, they can't say that. So they say one half of 1%. So the Fed's forecast for GDP this year is one half of 1%. First half of the year, we had a contraction. Second half, you know, we had a little bit of a, of a recovery here in the 2% range. So it averages out to one half of 1%. For 2022, and they are forecasting 23, one half of one percent. Yeah, keep in mind when they say one half of one percent, they really mean less. They can't say contraction because that would send a wrong message and scare the hell out of uh, the markets and the investors. So the best they can do is say no growth. You know, and no growth means one half of one percent statistically. You know. It means zero growth. But they know next year is not going to be zero growth. Certainly in the first half of the year, uh, they're wishful thinking that maybe, you know, we'll have a contraction the first half of the year, and the second half of the year we'll have a little bit of a recovery, and that will average out to 0.5%. Uh, that's really what the real economy forecast by the Fed is. No growth meaning officially no growth, but actually recession next year. And uh, inflation will come down, according to the Fed, uh, to 3.1% from current 7.1%. Now, the 7.1% is uh, consumer price index. The Fed uses a different 
index called the PCE, Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, which uh, is more conservative and is always less than the CPI, Consumer Price Index. So when it says 3.1, it means the PCE, which is really about 4% CPI. Okay, so we're going to have a deep recession next year, and we're only going to bring the inflation rate, CPI, now from 7.1 to about 4. Well, that's nowhere near the 2% goal. And if the 2% goal is really a goal, it means they're going to keep raising rates during the recession. And don't think they're going to get to the 2%. So more recession, deeper recession, especially in the first half of the year, um, and inflation will come down only very slowly and only about half, only about half of the current inflation will shake out by the end of next year. Well, what does that mean for the following year, 2024? Does that mean recession will continue as rates will continue rising to bring it down to 2% from 4? Hmm. Well, maybe. Uh, But the bottom line, the point is that the Fed rate hikes, as aggressive as they have been and will continue, have less effect on bringing down inflation than they ever have in the past. Why is that? That's because, as I've been saying on repeated shows here, the inflation is really due to supply and demand. The Fed raising rates can cause unemployment, take money out of the pockets of the middle class and working class, right, and dampen demand inflation. If you don't have money, if you're unemployed, you're not going to spend as much on consumer spending. Uh, will will come down, and uh, therefore the demand for goods will reduce, and therefore companies will have to lower the prices of those goods, consumer goods we're talking about. So the Fed can impact the demand side, but over half of the inflation is supply side, and the Fed can do nothing about that. Nothing. It has no tools. All it can do is whack the hell out of the demand side and consumer spending and wages and workers' incomes to bring some of the prices down to about half. You know, my prediction is uh, we're going to have a much deeper recession first half of next year, uh, and uh, prices will come down to about 5% from the current 7 and uh, maybe they'll come down a little bit le- a little bit further in the second half of the year to 4%. We're going to have significant inflation with us while we have a deepening recession. Think about that. That's sometimes called stagflation, stagnation of uh, the economy, the real economy, while you still have significant inflation. Why this is so, why the Fed monetary policy interest rate manipulation has less an effect 
on the real economy and the 21st century global capitalist, real global economy, uh, why it has less effect now than ever before. There are real reasons why this is so. Okay, uh, let's continue here with the Fed. Uh, the New York Fed president, New York Fed, there's 12 districts of the Federal Reserve. New York is the most important of the 12 because it deals with global trade um, and other uh, other issues here. And I won't get into technicalities. Uh, it, the New York Fed president's name is John Williams. And Williams came out today and uh, reaffirmed what uh, Fed Chair Powell said a couple of days ago. In other words, we're going to continue raising rates, you know, make no mistake. Right? Uh, and uh, we need to continue raising rates uh, because the problem, he and Powell are saying, the problem is services inflation. And the problem there is not enough unemployment to reduce wages and wage spending and consumption enough. Not enough unemployment. In other words, it's very clear and why this Fed rate hike and press conference by Powell is so important is because now they are targeting, the Fed is targeting wages. And they're going to reduce wages by increasing unemployment. The best way to take a big whack out of wages is to cause massive unemployment. And that's the target that he's talking about. Look, uh, you know, in the press conference, uh, Powell focused on uh, three areas, uh, three segments of uh, inflation, the structure of inflation in the U.S. I I like to say, uh, you know, it's supply and demand, and uh, over half of it is supply side, half of it is the demand side, as I've just said, right? The supply side, the problems there are global supply chains that are still, you know, in chaos in some areas because of the COVID era, right? Uh, Supply side, monopolistic corporations price gouging because they can and governments do nothing about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sanctions, global sanctions (coughs) on Russia and the war in Ukraine, which is causing energy prices to stay high, uh, gas and oil, uh, and uh, natural gas and oil, uh, and at the same time causing problems in supply chains uh, and the price of uh, industrial commodities, a lot of which come out of Russia, and agriculture, even some agricultural commodities, wheat and fertilizer and so forth, also comes out of Russia. So the war and the sanctions, a supply-side you know, problem here, price gouging, supply-side problem, right? Uh, monopolistic corporations, supply-side problem. Uh, those those areas and that supply, the Fed hasn't even talked about and won't talk about. It just gives these quick oblique uh, comments by Powell saying, oh, we can't do anything about that, therefore let's go on and focus on demand side. And now the focus is really on wages, and unemployment. You know, the Fed aside here, the Fed, uh, uh, you know, legally has a, a, a two, two uh, 
two-goal mission, and that is uh, to to maintain jobs and employment and to uh, maintain price stability. Uh, Well, you know, the jobs and employment thing is always the lesser concern of the Fed, and no more so than today because they've thrown uh, jobs, trying to keep jobs up in balance uh, with the price stability out the window, and their only focus is really prices. Yeah, that's real focus to there. The Fed has said in its uh, recent decision, not just to investors, but to the country as a whole, that, um, look, uh, we got to squash demand. And we're going to have a recession next year because we're going to continue raising prices. And we have to do that to target wages by creating unemployment. That's coming. Anyway, getting back from that digression to the Fed and Powell, he focused on on, uh, three areas, three segments, right? He says if you look at uh, goods, products, you know, discrete goods, you know, buying things, uh, whether it's appliances or cars or whatever, that's goods. And uh, also you can have uh, uh, goods, uh, what we call non-durable goods, you know, cars and so forth. That's durable goods, last more than three years. Uh, but non-durables get consumed, you know, like gasoline and so forth. Um, non-durables. Uh, goods inflation has slowed down, he said, Right. It's slowing. It's still increasing, but it's not increasing at such a a rapid rate. So goods inflation is slowing down. So that's not his target. Um, Housing, of course, housing prices are in free fall in a lot of markets, and they'll continue to decline (coughs) as interest rates rise. Uh, But he did talk about rents. Rents are going through the roof. Yeah. Is that a demand problem, or is that a problem of landlords gouging people uh, because they can, trying to make up uh, for, quote, their losses uh, during COVID when you had rent controls? That's that's what's going on. They're jacking up rents like hell uh, everywhere, and people know it who are renters. They know it, right? Uh, And uh, Powell admitted it, right? Rents are going up, and he said, oh, we expect that to slow down middle of next year. So, uh, you know, he's sort of uh, written that off. He's not going to do anything about rents, right? He's written off goods inflation because that's slowing a bit. Uh, I'll talk about why it's going to go back up. Uh, But he's really focused on what he says, core services. In other words, personal services, business services, where it looks like you still have very strong inflation. In fact, it's kind of gone up in the last three months, goods and services, right? You know, travel and entertainment, food away from home, restaurants, hotels, lodging, uh, business services uh, that companies buy, personal services, uh, you know, education services, and so forth. Uh, all of that is still pretty robust, and even increasing in some cases, travel, for example. Uh, And um, he says that's the real issue, he, Powell. And uh, to do that, the problem is the labor market. 
In other words, when he says the labor market, it's a code word for saying uh, too many jobs, right? The labor market is tight. The labor market is strong, meaning uh, companies aren't laying enough people off, right? Uh, and that means that uh, uh, people have too much wage income. And uh, because they have too much wage income, uh, prices for these core services uh, continue to be high. So what we have to do, the Fed, is uh, uh, to make sure the labor market gets weaker, which means that we get more layoffs and therefore less wage income. Uh, and therefore bring down service prices because there'll be less consumer spending on wage income. He says there's a supply and demand imbalance in the labor market. What he really means is they're not laying off enough, even though we've raised interest rates here four times 71 basis points, right? So we got to continue raising rates uh, till we precipitate more layoffs in services industries and uh, uh, bring consumer spending down, you know. Well, if you look at consumer spending, it's not because workers got in the last six months, three months, uh, have more wage income. They don't have more wage income, you know. There have been wage increases, average hourly earnings, but that's been skewed to the high-end 10% of the labor force and occupations. Uh, you know, the middle-income uh, folks uh, uh, aren't getting any wage increases to speak of, you know, um, but still they're pointing to that, uh, you know, that average because it's skewed to big increases at the top end, which include professionals and managers and supervisors and so forth. Right. Uh, so they're targeting that and saying, uh, well, there's too much wage increases. Well, there really isn't. Mm -hmm. Consumers, working class consumers, are now buying not based on wage increases, but buying based on huge escalation in credit card spending. Yeah. Look, if you compare credit, the Federal Reserve has a report that comes out, and uh, consumer credit is part of it. And this past week it came out as well, uh, or the week before. And it showed that compared with this period in 2019, that was before COVID, uh, consumers are spending twice as much on credit cards as they did before COVID, twice as much. And it's rising. So in other words, that's a sign uh, that workers uh, and middle class and consumers, households, um, don't have the wage income in order to spend. So they're turning to credit cards, you know, as they try to restore, reestablish the kind of uh, spending that they had uh, before COVID. So it's credit card driven, pretty much. Uh, okay. So uh, again, the target is core services, where Powell and the Federal Reserve say, uh, well, the labor market's too tight. We got to whack the labor market some more, get companies to lay off more workers. In other words, we got to precipitate a deeper recession uh, to do that. Uh, and that's really the focus. The focus now is attacking wages, right? They ought to attack credit cards, <laughs> but they're attacking wage incomes 
creating more unemployment, right? Um, and, you know, they'll bring unemployment or, or the economy down to uh, next year, according to the Fed, it's forecast for a real gross domestic product of one half of 1% growth. That's what they'll do. And uh, inflation next year, 3 to 4%. In other words, precipitate a recession to bring inflation down to 4%, CPI 4%. Wow, I mean, uh, all these rate increases, you know, and only cuts inflation in half. The 8-plus percent this year is going down to 4%, even though we have uh, a recession. Uh, I don't think that's a formula for really reducing inflation, which says that Federal Reserve rate hikes aren't that effective anymore in dampening inflation prices in the real economy. You know, in the past, if you raised interest rates that much that fast, you know, it would bring inflation down a lot further, right? There would be a lot more unemployment, right? They're forecasting the unemployment rate to rise from the current, I think it's 3.7% for full-time workers. It's going to next year increase to 4.9 or something. Yeah. Uh, that's not enough to bring inflation down. I don't think that'll, that kind of unemployment will bring it down to, uh, you know, even the 4% inflation rate. Uh, so it's strange that the forecast and what the Fed is doing you know, uh, it's really strange to me. Yeah, they're targeting wages, they're targeting services, and they're targeting unemployment, and we're going to have a deeper recession, especially the first half of next year. The prices are only going to come down half of what they are and well above the 2% target of the Fed, 2% inflation target. Mm-hmm. You know, four, four plus percent versus two percent target. They're not going to hit their target all next year, which suggests to me they're going to continue raising rates. You know, they're going to raise a, raise it to five, five and a quarter, and then they're going to look around and see what's happening. Trying to, they say, raise unemployment enough to really bring inflation down enough. It's, uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, a halfway mark here next year that they're looking at. Uh, we're going to bring inflation down some. It won't reach our target. Uh, unemployment will go up some, you know. Oh, well, maybe have a mild recession in the first half and then recover in the second half. You see, that's really what it is. They're thinking there's going to be a soft landing. They're thinking that the recession is going to be mild and only in the first half of next year. And then, all oh, we're going to grow again, you know, in the second half of the year. Uh, they may be totally wrong about that, but that's where the Fed is, you know, where it's coming from. But the, the, the theoretical point to keep in mind is that uh, the Fed interest rate policy, capitalist monetary policy is increasingly ineffective 
in stabilizing the economy in the 21st century. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that interest rate hikes do not slow the economy, dampen it, and dampen inflation as effectively as it used to. So they have to raise interest rates even higher than they plan. Normal rate hikes, and, you know, we've had not normal rate hikes. We've had 475 basis points and now a 50 basis point hike within a matter of six six or seven months. That's a pretty rapid hike. Uh, and uh, prices haven't come down much, you know, from eight to seven. Mm-hmm. Haven't come down much. Uh, and uh, they, even longer term, with more rate hikes, they expect it only to come down to around four CPI. Uh, now that's not a very effective impact uh, by rate hikes on inflation. Not very effective. So monetary policy, interest rate hikes in the 21st century, right, uh, do not have as much an impact uh, on stabilizing the economy, in other words, reducing reducing inflation as they used to. Uh, Now, the converse is also true. If you look back to what happened in 2008-9, interest rate reductions, which occurred 2008-9-10, to try to stimulate the economy in the deep recession, great recession at the time, did not have much in the effect on stimulating the economy. So cutting rates does not stimulate the economy as much, and raising rates does not slow down inflation as much as it used to. Well, why is this? By the way, this this is a point, you know, a dual point that I made back in my uh, 2017 book, Central Bankers at the End of Their Ropes, which you can check out on my blog at it and uh, jackrasmus.com, some reviews and so forth. Um, I predicted this back then. You know, I I looked at why reducing interest rates to zero, which occurred after 2009, resulted in a very weak, tepid, long, slow recovery. Did not really boost the economy that much. Took a long time, right? People were really... uh, uh, you know, without jobs, and the situation was really dire during for a lot of folks during the Obama period. Right, rates did uh, did not uh, monetary policy did not stimulate the economy as much. But well, we got the obverse of that going on now. Right, we got rate hikes not slowing down the economy as much and inflation as much. Why is this? Well, because. 21st century global capitalism is really, quote, globalized and financialized, both of which lead to this dual problem with monetary policy I'm talking about, right? Rate hikes have less effect on slowing GDP and inflation. Why? Uh, Because globalization means if the Fed raises rates, Corporations can go offshore to borrow. Fed rate hikes, you know, uh, does not mean that uh, 
you know, borrowing costs are so high that they can't go and borrow money. Uh, they can because it's a global financial capitalist market. And now uh, with technology, you can go anywhere in the world and borrow the money. Okay. Another reason is uh, corporations don't borrow from banks. Big corporations don't go to uh, Bank of America or uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and say, oh, we want to borrow you know, X amount of money because we want to expand our business or buy another business, whatever. Uh, now, they don't do that. They raise their money through what's called bond issuance, corporate bond issuance, uh, and or through equity. In other words, issuing more stock. They don't go borrow from banks. They use uh, the markets and they use bonds uh, and stock to raise cash when they need it. So if that's the case, raising interest rates isn't going to stifle them uh, from their business, you know, enough that they got to lay off people. No. Also, a third reason why, why rate hikes have less effect on slowing inflation GDP is financialization. Right? Uh Financialization means uh, that the global capitalism has, has focused more on financial uh, asset markets and investments so that when you raise interest rates or lower interest rates, right, um, a lot of the lowering of interest rates, which then results in more money being put into the economy uh, by the Fed, uh, lowering interest rates, you know, a lot of that money does not go into real investment in the real economy, you know, buildings and equipment and so forth. No, it goes into financial asset markets, stocks and bonds and derivatives and foreign currencies and so forth. So the stimulative effect gets diverted to financial markets. It also gets diverted because corporations are global. Uh, it gets diverted borrowing to offshore investment uh, by big multinational corporations, not really uh, investment in the U.S., see. Uh, that's why our infrastructure is in such bad shape. It's just more profitable to invest in financial markets, profitable for corporations. Big corporations, you know, a third at least of their profits come from financial asset investing, financial markets. Uh, you know, this is a big change. Uh, so globalization, financialization, right? uh, the structure of finance itself uh, means that raising rates has have a less an effect on slowing GDP, slowing the economy, uh, and therefore, you know, inflation. Also, you know, there's a, a, another effect going on here. Uh, corporations don't want to lay off their workers. Uh, because they screwed up during COVID. Uh, they were supposed to not lay them off, but they did. They kept the government money. You know, the PPP program was supposed to uh, uh, encourage uh, corporations to keep their, you know, was keep, keep their workers, you know, uh, in the job here uh, while the shutdowns were occurring. Uh, but they laid them off and they took the money anyway. A good example of the airlines. They got $52 billion from the government 
to keep their workers employed, but they laid them off, took the money, laid them off, and then they couldn't get them back. You know, once you lay off, it's hard to get your workers back, especially the good ones. The good ones go and get jobs quick. You can get the unproductive ones back pretty quick, but not the good ones. Uh, And the good ones really run the economy uh, for the company. Um, So, uh, you know, they they couldn't get their workers back here. Uh, And now they've got burned because of that. They know that. And they're very reluctant now to lay people off. Uh, they find uh, other ways. And I'm talking about big corporations, not the smaller ones, but even the smaller ones, you know, restaurants and so forth, the good cooks and so forth, you know, they, they try not to lay them off here. So that's another factor at work here, a post-COVID factor, on top of globalization and financialization and uh, monopolization uh, of big corporations. Why rate hikes have less effect on slowing the economy. And the obverse is true as well. Uh, Rate cuts have less an effect on stimulating the real economy. Once again, uh, because the rate cuts throws more money into the economy, uh, but a lot of it gets diverted offshore instead of investment in the U.S., i.e. globalization, and a lot of it, perhaps even more, it gets diverted into financial markets instead of into real investment. Uh, you know, that infrastructure, for example, has suffered uh, because um, it's just not as profitable for companies to invest in expanding necessary infrastructure. It's more profitable, less risky and uh, quicker to invest in stocks and bonds and derivatives. You see, uh, that's the financialization problem going on in the real economy. Uh, OK, so that's the theoretical basis uh, for my argument. Uh, made way back five years ago and reiterated, proven today, uh, that uh, monetary policy interest rates is less effective uh, than in previous decades. Less effective in two ways, both in terms of of, uh, dampening inflation and also less effective in terms of stimulating the economy when there's a recession. Okay, so keeping that in mind, uh, back to the Fed, right? Uh, the Fed, as I said uh, previously, sees goods inflation as slowing down, and that's a good thing. Yeah, the latest report showed auto sales finally tapering off and other big ticket items, uh, housing uh, uh, tapering off. So, quote, goods inflation is not as bad uh, in the U.S. But I might add uh, that the goods inflation is slower, uh, is not rising in fa- as fast um, because of the U.S. dollar. You see, when you raise the Fed raises interest rates, right, the dollar in value appreciates. It goes up as well. So if the dollar is, is appreciating, the cost of imports to the U.S., from offshore, the cost, the price goes down. Appreciation of the dollar, import prices go down. And import to that extent, import prices, which are goods prices for goods and products, uh, going down. It's because the dollar is going up. Now, conversely, for other economies in the world, if the dollar goes up, their currencies go down. 
There's this reciprocal relationship because the dollar is the global currency. You see, it's the linchpin of American economic empire. Right? And to the extent the dollar goes up, other currencies depreciate. So while the dollar goes up and our import prices for goods go down, which we see reflected because the dollar's been rising, conversely, the collapse of currencies in other countries means that their import prices go up. Yeah, exchange rate, dollar currency exchange rates is what we're talking about. And so you could argue that the Fed raising rates, which drives the dollar up, right, is a way of the U.S. exporting its inflation. In other words, it reduces import prices to the U.S. At the same time, it increases import prices in the rest of the world for other countries. Right? Their inflation goes higher than normal, and our inflation uh, is less than what it should be because of the dollar. Hey, look, you know, uh, uh, the currency, let's take the example of Argentina. Right? Uh, the currency has, has pretty much collapsed in Argentina, and its inflation is 92%. It's almost doubled. Inflation is all, and you can say the same thing for other countries, you know, in Africa and Turkey and other other countries, uh, even Europe. Uh, look, the uh, euro, the currency of Europe, uh, has depreciated about 20%. Same thing for the Japanese yen. Well, that means the price of their imports go up 20%. And Europe is more dependent on imports as a share of GDP. Uh, so it has a bigger impact, uh, you know, as well because of the share of import goods uh, in the economy. Germany, for example, you know, uh, I think like 40 percent of its GDP is due to uh, export sales. Now, uh, so trade is very important for even more important for Europe. Uh, the point I'm making is that European inflation uh, much higher even than the U.S. inflation. Uh, the numbers just came out this past week. Uh, officially, EU is over 10%. Some countries, uh, like U.K. and uh, and Germany, you got inflation of 11 to 14%. Yeah, uh, going on. Um, so a lot of the extra inflation in Europe is because of the U.S., because of the Federal Reserve raising rates. Uh, and that forces the European Central Bank to raise its rates as well to protect its currency, not just to slow down inflation, but to protect its currency from collapsing, uh, which, of course, you know, mitigates import inflation to some extent. So the U.S. is causing this huge inflation problem, in part, in Europe. The other reason why Europe is so much higher in terms of inflation uh, is because of the sanctions. Uh, U.S. political policy sanction Russia, sanction global commodities, sanction industrial metals of all kinds that come out of Russia. You know, nickel and palladium and aluminum and all of that coming out of Russia, which is very important for U.S. auto and global auto prices, by the way. Uh, you know, catalytic converters needs palladium and nickel, etc. Uh, 
you know, also in Russia, we know, uh, and the war, you know, the sanctions in the war in Ukraine are, are, are directly related to each other. Um, but it's driving up, uh, the sanctions are driving up the cost of oil and energy, natural gas and oil, uh, and uh, other industrial commodities that come out of Russia, you know, metals of various kinds, and even wheat and uh, fertilizer. Uh, global markets dependent on Russia and Ukrainian exports. Uh, So the U.S. is really the cause because it's not, it's, you know, the sanctions are U.S. and sanctions, U.S. driven sanctions. So that's uh, leading to a cutoff of natural gas uh, in Europe and a reduction of oil in Europe. And there, of course, they're, the cost of these items are going through the roof, and uh, the governments there have to subsidize the consumers uh, so they don't pay the whole price of this, and companies so they don't shut down. So U.S. geopolitical policy is responsible in part for the high increase in uh, prices in Europe. But so is U.S. Federal Reserve policy driving up the dollar's driving down the euro, which is depreciating 20% here, causing responsible for some of the inflation in Europe. If you took those two factors away, the sanctions and the dollar rising, uh, you know, double-digit European inflation would probably be half of what it is today. Instead of the 12, 10, 10, 11, 13, 14% rate, it would probably be right around where the U.S. rate is, you know, around around the 6 or 7%. Uh, but we, you won't hear much about the U.S. cause of the European problems, economic problems. Uh, the U.S. really doesn't care about uh, inflation in Europe and uh, the squeeze uh, economically on Europe. You know, it just wants to drive Russia out of the European economy, which it's doing. Uh, It wants to drive it out so that U.S. corporations could slip in the vacuum. And that's what's happening. You know, uh, pretty much the natural gas, uh, pipeline gas has been stopped flowing into Europe, a little bit flowing into uh, Hungary. But um, it's been been stopped. Uh, And now the Europeans are buying U.S. uh, liquid natural gas here shipped uh, from the U.S. ports to European ports. Uh, but they're paying three times the price for natural gas than they were paying for Russian pipeline gas. Uh, so uh, American companies, oil companies, are making a big killing. Uh, they're doing quite well. <clears throat> and you can say the same thing for oil. Um, pipeline oil, of course, from Russia has been, been blocked. But there's still Russian uh, ship-based oil. Uh, flowing into Europe. Uh, and by the way, Russian ship-based liquid natural gas is still flowing into Europe. Uh, but uh, that's co- competition for U.S. oil and gas companies who want to sell more to Europe. So they got to drive Russia out of the remaining uh, natural gas and oil from ships and that's where this recent price cap stuff that's going on in Europe is, is what it's all about, right? Uh, in short, the U.S. wants to drive Russia totally out of the economy, 
uh, Western Europe. That means Europe becomes more dependent economically on the U.S., even though it has to pay higher prices. Uh, Europe is uh, uh, destined by the end of the decade to be essentially an economic colony of the U.S., I think. At the same time, you know, the war and the sanctions have had the big result of uh, U.S. reestablishing hegemony over NATO, and those controlling NATO totally. Uh, under uh, uh, Trump, you know, it was Europe was drifting away. The French and, and uh, the Germans, you know, were talking about creating their own, quote, equivalent of NATO, their own defense. Uh, but that was soon uh, totally ended here. Uh, when uh, we get the conflict in Ukraine and the sanctions. Now the Europeans, uh, the U.S. has cleverly manipulated uh, the Eastern European NATO, uh, uh, new entrance into NATO that it has encouraged over the last 20 years. So now uh, the U.S. and the Eastern Europeans, the Baltics, the Poles, Romanians, uh, Slovaks, whatever, uh, they're pretty much running NATO now. <clears throat> so the U.S. is, you know, by pushing this this war and these sanctions, has pretty much reestablished total hegemony over NATO and the foreign policy of Europe. Uh, at the same time, uh, Russia's being driven out of the economy and U.S. companies are moving in and Europe's become more independent economically on the U.S. Uh, very clever uh, global, uh, global imperialist policies going on in the U.S., right? Uh, so uh, th that explains why it's higher, higher inflation in Europe and why, uh, you know, their central banks are following in step with similar hikes uh, to interest rates. Uh, you know, they're the central bank tail on the U.S. Fed dog here, um, and they are following suit. They have to, or their currency will collapse even more. Uh, but they're raising their interest rates in into an economy uh, that is going to be a deeper recession than even in the U.S., and an inflation which is already uh, higher and more intransigent uh, than the U.S. inflation. So Europe is the weak sister in the global capitalist economy. Uh, Japan uh, is a special case. Japan is trying to resist uh, having to raise interest rates. Uh, they know they're going into a recession uh, and they've been trying to keep rates down and stimulate their economy with fiscal spending. Uh, but uh, I predict that will not last and uh, because the yen is collapsing. Uh, they have to raise interest rates as well following the U.S. You know, the U.S. is the global empire, and uh, it manipulates its empire uh, in various ways using uh, the dollar uh, using the SWIFT uh, international payment system, uh, with the Fed dominating other central banks, uh, and a host of other other ways and measures in trade. Uh, so uh, the U.S. empire is not weakening. The U.S. empire is getting more aggressive. Uh, you know, there, there is some talk about, oh, it's under challenge and so forth. Yeah, it's under challenge from China and, and Russia uh, and, you know, some of the others allied with with, with China, the BRICS, as they call them. Uh, and uh, 
but it's responding to that to that challenge more aggressively. We are looking at twenty twenty first century. The U.S. has been at war all the time, right? Uh, any any uh, you know country that that challenges uh, it by breaking out of its uh, global empire, the U.S. goes after and uh, really attacks in all kinds of ways, economically and so forth. And um, it's decided. Uh, once it left Afghanistan, uh, really to go after Russia and China. Uh, that's why there was such a precipitous uh, withdrawal from uh, Afghanistan. You know, the Middle East wars are over. We'll let the locals fight the Middle East wars, and, and we'll, you know, finance it and give them arms. Uh, but we're not going in directly uh, because now we've got to focus on Russia first and then, then China, tie over Taiwan. Uh, so um, that's the global empire and how it works. I disagree with this thesis that the uh, uh, you know, U.S. imperialist is getting weaker. Yeah, they're getting challenged, but they're getting more aggressive. And it remains to be seen uh, whether this increased aggressiveness, economic and military, uh, really succeeds. We are in this, this period here. Uh, okay, getting back to economics. Getting back to economics, uh, I just want to say that we're going to see a further increase, I believe, in oil energy prices. Yeah, they've abated some. Goods inflation has abated some. But I think that's going to go back up. Uh, I don't think rents are going to slow down middle of next year. And I think core services uh, uh, prices will continue uh, because uh, they're going to have to raise rates a lot higher in order to precipitate unemployment and uh, lower consumer demand. Why, why oil prices are going to go up? Well, the U.S. has now uh, announced it's going to start rebuying once again uh, for strategic petroleum reserve oil from the oil companies, so demand is going to increase. OPEC and the Saudis are cutting production. Supply will decline. That will raise prices too, right? Uh, China is supposed to be reopening after its shutdowns of COVID. Uh, that will increase global demand. And the uh, sanctions and the price caps in Europe will continue to impact supply. So I, I think over the winter here we got a little bit of, a, of a, an abatement of energy prices, uh, but it's going to intensify. Uh, once again, come, come spring and drive prices up on the supply side. <clears throat> uh, and then if the war gets even uh, you know, more more vicious over there in Ukraine, which I expect it will. The Russian offensive is coming, and the U.S. and NATO will respond, and the conflict between NATO and Russia will become even more obvious than it is now. Uh, that could cause even, even more disruption in global supply. Uh, so I see uh, rents, uh, rents rising. I see uh, uh, food prices continuing to rise. Uh, and I see energy prices and commodity prices continuing to rise in 2023, which means the Fed is going to have to raise interest rates even more in 2023 uh, if they want to shake it out. And this brings in the last the shoe to fall, and that is if interest rates go above five and a quarter, five and a half percent, as I've said they will, then we're going to see problems more problems in financial asset market instability. We already see in cryptos, 
in what they call SPACs, withdrawal of money from mutual funds and SPACs, problems with uh, CLOs and uh, real estate investment trusts, and soon then corporate high-yield bonds. And then, of course, in Europe, you've got problems with banks like Credit Suisse and so forth, which are going to intensify. So I see financial instability potential rising next year, as well as rates continue to rise, uh, as as they will have to do if they really want to bring inflation down. And we will have a deeper recession in order to break inflation down than they're forecasting. Okay, I think that's pretty much it uh, for um, for the show. Uh, again, uh, the last the Fed increase is strategic and important, not just for this month, but for all of next year and where the U.S. and the global economy is going in terms of how deep the recession, uh, how much they mitigate inflation, which I don't think will be as much as they think, and uh, financial instability, uh, which is uh, increasingly on the agenda. Okay, I'm out of here.